Hello and welcome to Vision of Zion. My guest tonight is Sean White, and we're covering the book of Isaiah. Hello, Sean. Hi, Craig. It's so good to get together this evening. I look like I'm a little cold because I was outside in the mountain air. It was a little cool, so I'm just going to keep this down jacket on for now. And uh, this is our second attempt to do a video while we review Sean's notes on the book of Isaiah uh, based upon our reading of the Dead Sea Scrolls version of Isaiah chapter 25 and Sean's uh, walk with the Savior. So why don't we begin with uh, with you, Sean, and just go ahead and lead us into this chapter. This chapter 25 is part of a, a group of chapters 24, 25, 26, and 27. So we need to kind of almost view it as as one, uh, one big chapter. This segment today, and we've organized these verses into the same paragraph structure that is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in hopes that we can find more meaning by the way they grouped it together. This takes place after the Battle of Armageddon. The righteous of Zion rejoice as they are invited to a feast. All right. Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 5. Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago in complete faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city. It will never be built. Therefore, strong people will glorify you. A city of awesome nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat when the blast of the dreaded ones is like a storm against the wall. As the heat in a dry place will bring you down the noise of strangers, as the heat by the shade of a cloud, the song of the dreaded ones will be brought low. We can see here the battle of Armageddon is over. The righteous remnant sing praises to God, acknowledging his hand over their lives. God has destroyed the fortified cities and places people thought were unable to be destroyed before. Many were shocked by the awesomeness of God's power in helping them find refuge from the storm and shade from the heat. Unfortunately, there are still some that deny God's power. All right. The next will begin with this verse 6. In this mountain, Yahweh of armies will make all peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast of choice wines, a choice meat full of marrow, of well-refined choice wines. He will destroy in this mountain the surface of the covering that covers all peoples and the veil that is spread over all nations. He has swallowed up death forever. The Lord Yahweh will wipe away tears from off all faces. He will take the reproach of his people away from off all the earth, for Yahweh has spoken it. We might ask, which mountain is God speaking about? This answer lies in the book of Revelations, chapter 21. In Revelations 21, verse 10, 
he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and shoot me that great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And the Yahweh of armies will make all peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast of choice wines, of choice meat full of marrow, of well-refined choice wines. This is tied to Revelations chapter 19, 9. He saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Let's look into DNC 133, verse 56. And the graves of the saints shall be opened, and they shall come forth, and shall stand on the right hand of the Lamb. And when he shall stand upon Mount Zion, upon the holy city, the new Jerusalem, they shall sing the song of the Lamb day and night forever and ever. Going on to the next part of this verse, he will destroy in his mountain the surface of the covering that covers all peoples, the veil that spread over all nations. He has swallowed up death forever. The Lord Yahweh will wipe away the tears from off all the faces. He will make the reproach of his people away from away from off all the earth, for Yahweh has spoken it. In Revelations 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he, Christ, that sat upon the throne, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, John the Revelator, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, meaning Christ, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst, the fountain of the water of life freely. In the next part of the verse, he will take away the reproach of his people from off the face of the earth. One might ask, why does this statement need to be made? It is because there are others outside these walls that believe in God and are seeking him, but have not made a deeper covenant to keep his word and hear his voice within them. Scroll down, Craig. At this time, I want to refer to the statement by Joseph Smith concerning the Savior's return. The coming of the Messiah among this people will be so natural that only those who see him will know that he has come. But he will come and give his laws unto Zion and minister unto his people. This will not be his coming in the clouds of heaven to make vengeance upon the wicked of the world. This was recorded by Edwin Rushton and Theodore Turley. Now, in these two cities of holiness, meaning New Jerusalem and Old Jerusalem, I saw a great feast occurring, like that which Isaiah was describing as I walked with the Savior. The table was unbelievable. The fruits I saw were exquisite and more flavorful than one could imagine. 
As the people ate, they were changed in a twinkling of an eye. The veil was removed from off these cities, and everyone could see all of those that had died before. This was kind of a transition for those in earthly bodies who were within the city walls, who had done all the hard stuff to see Christ. Now, you know, we still had those people outside the walls, but those that were really truly faithful and everything could were tr transfigured in a twinkling of an eye as they ate this fruit and this meal, this great feast. And the feeling I saw in this part of the vision was beyond what anyone can imagine of peacefulness, secure, and, you know, like we have won this battle and we are ready to go ahead and build up the kingdom of God. It's really something. Mm. Matt can make some comments about this or ask some questions in a minute once we finish through these verses. For, starting with verse 9. It shall be said in that day, Behold, Yahweh is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is Yahweh. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For in this mountain, Yahweh's hand will rest. Moab will be trodden down in his place, even like straws trodden down in the water of the dunghill. He will spread out his hands in the middle of it, like one who swims spreads out hands to swim, but his pride will be humbled together with the craft of his hands. He has brought the high fortress of your walls down, laid low, and brought to the ground, even to the dust. Verse 9 is going back to the beginning of this chapter in true chiastic structure. Isaiah wants us to emphasize the praise the righteous remnant has for God. In verse 10, the righteous remnant see those that have fought against the building up of the kingdom of God. They have been brought low and destroyed in Moab. Moab represents the area on the borders of the promised land. It was the last area the Israelites went through to enter into the promised land after traveling 40 years. Many of the Moabite people worshipped other gods like Chemish. Hmm. Well, this is oh. finally... Uh, oh, go ahead, Sean. You know, it's just so interesting that, you know, how he uses symbolism, even like with Moabite and uh, the you know the land of Moab and getting right to the end and then being afraid to cross into the promised land and staying out and it has to do a lot with you know not coveting with God and making the covenants we need to and just being held back for that last little bit of worry that they need to shed before they can enter in to the presence of our Savior. It's so interesting how past events can help us inform us about the future and the similar patterns, <clears throat> types and shadows. Uh, just as a reminder to our listeners or our viewers, the description of Isaiah in these chapters is definitely about the future. One of the ways we know about this is the fact that when the Savior appeared to the inhabitants in the Americas, the descendants of Nehi and Mulek and others, that the Savior quoted in Third Nephi chapters, I think around 16 through 21 for sure, 
he quoted from the book of Isaiah and talked about these as future events. They were still relevant, even though he had been resurrected. So that's one hint that this is future. Uh, some questions, Sean, for you. Uh, let's just go through this real quickly. I don't have too many this time or, or comments. So we kind of see in verses 1 through 5, looks like a rebuilding of these cities that were destroyed, right? Yeah, they're torn down, made into a heap and everything. And then uh, we actually rebuild them in a way. You know, we have to go back and step back and think for a minute. We A few chapters ago, we talked about the length of the walls and everything, which in our terms today would be around 1,369 miles, I believe, by 1,369 miles. So it's a huge area. Once this wall is established, then we can actually build the city of New Jerusalem. We're protected and stuff, but the city of New Jerusalem represents such a small place within these walls. And once again, we can kind of think of the area of New Jerusalem as being, you know, that's approximately from the top of the Appalachians to the top of the Rockies and from the Canadian border into the Gulf of Mexico. And it will be you know, equally as large in old Jerusalem. And I have not thought about how to lay that out to get a comprehension there yet, but, you know, it's huge. It really is. Well, the uh, take away the reproach of his people in verse 8 made me also think about how for the better part of history, the Lord's people are always looked down upon. They're always marginalized, persecuted, uh, especially the prophets that preach repentance and change to the people who are in wickedness. Uh, but at these last days, the reproach, uh, you know, the hatred or the dislike or the whatever you want to call it for people who are striving to live God's laws, that that is removed. Is that a correct uh, understanding also of those it of is and the you know the between the walls and the city of new jerusalem and old jerusalem the light and the draw it's almost like a magnet to people to want to learn more and want to know about why these people are so peaceable and why they have so much light to them and why they're so calm so it's interesting that we could all this reproach and you know, against Christians, and now we're even afraid today to talk about some things as Christians, and it's all taken away. Yeah, we're seeing a dramatic change, and I love the way that you uh, compare these verses in Isaiah with what's in the book of Revelation. Clearly, they're talking about the same thing. Yeah. And I like the fact the beast is literal, not just an imagery. It sounds like it's there's really going to be a feast. Yeah, it's so special for those that, you know, cross out of Moab, which is right next to the Promised Land and are within it, and to sit down and to rejoice and sing. You know, I, you just can't comprehend the joy that all of them have together as they rejoice that they've made it. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting is that by 
partaking of these fruits, people were changed, you said, in the twinkling of an eye. <clears throat> this reminds me of kind of the inverse process where when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, that they were subjected to death, right? But right. at the end, the type of fruit that is being offered will actually elevate us to a higher level of you know, existence. Like with partaking of the fruit of the tree of life and how that changes oh, us back to yeah. immortality. Yeah. And then as we go out among the people and things outside the walls, you know, if you're not of a high enough light, they don't recognize that you really are resurrected or anything. It's only the resurrected people from within that can recognize that in the lower levels. But, you know, we work in proselyte and do everything every day among the other people, and they don't recognize that we've reached this stage, and we don't talk about it. So um, just among those that are resurrected. And then, of so, course, we have the other scene that hasn't come about yet where everybody arises from the grave, and that's a, another scene. You know, after these have gone, have gone through this process, then arising from the grave is like the next step. All right, so you've indicated that this chapter, chapter 25, is, I guess, part of a trilogy? Uh, well, four chapters together. Four chapters, okay. A quad. All right, 20, so... 27 will mirror back on to uh, 24 in its message and everything. So we've just about reached the center point, and as we do the next chapter 26, we'll start to see that coming back very, on the message. Very good. Well, do you have any more comments or uh, thoughts about Isaiah chapter 25? No, it just uh, I wish I could paint a picture for everybody of what this feast looks like and the the awe that I saw in the vision of what it was like in partaking of this and how shocked we were at everything that was presented before us. Well, in closing, I just want to say this, that um, this is just an analogy, but I know sometimes for some of us, uh, and I have to say I've gone through cycles with this, where studying the Word of God uh, the Lord talks about feasting upon the words of Christ in the book of, uh, I think, First Nephi. And sometimes maybe we have an approach towards the words of Christ, the words of the gospel as not being a feast. But in reality, if we get the right spirit about it, um, the words are so delicious and it is like a feast. And so we have not only the literal feast that we can partake of after the, after the difficult times, but we can also uh, feast upon these words with when we have the right spirit. Just a quick story. My brother called me today, all excited because he finally got the spirit of wanting to study the book of Isaiah. And I don't think that we get any credit for that, Sean, but mm -hmm. at the same time that we've been talking about it, I think he has... Uh, been talking to some other uh actually to a couple who has really taken the time to study uh the book of isaiah and they've gotten so much out of it and it's gotten them interested in other verses from other scriptures to try and get a more complete picture and as his friend his newly found friend told him 
you know, the real deep level of Isaiah is when the Spirit reveals the the meaning of the words to you. Not just studying what someone else says, but to actually have that hunger and feast on it and the Spirit is filling you with the meaning. And so that's a wonderful thing we can get from the Scriptures is this spiritual feast that it is uh, delicious to our minds, to our spirits. And I, I couldn't help but think about that imagery too as we read through uh, these verses. I've had several friends come up to me and and talk about how this perspective that we're proposing on Isaiah and the things we're saying has caused a stirring in their hearts to where, as a couple, they're discussing more things. And I'm so grateful for that and to cause discussion among couples to where they can study these words and find, for me, it has found so much peace, I can't describe it. Well, the Savior said, and he's the best commentator, right, of the book of Isaiah. He says yeah. that we should seek, search the search the scriptures and study his words. And it's just because they're loaded with everything that we need to know is coming. And so I'm so glad to be at a point now. We, it seems like we dragged through so many chapters of uh, judgment and destruction. And now we're starting to see the light come on about why the earth needs to be cleansed, what the plans are, this work of the Father that is going to happen in the last days. And it's uh, kind of amazing and extremely relevant to our day because we really are at the threshold of all of this unfolding. We can see the signs all around us. This is not uh, a distant thing. This is this is right here, right now. Yes. Wonderful. All right. All right. Well, this has been another uh, another segment of A Vision of Zion. Uh, I think this is uh, number sixty-eight in our in our list, and certainly we're going to do as soon as we can. We're going to come back here and do Isaiah uh, chapter twenty-six, and we'll put this up on the podcast on the website visionofzion.org, and then we're now going to put this also up on the YouTube channel for your viewing pleasure as, as it is. <laughs> All right, Sean, great. thanks thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you, Craig. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. You too.